morning. Good morning and welcome. It is, uh, it is about 53 degrees outside in sunny, sunny South Florida, um, and, but it's uh, still only about maybe, what, 60, 62 degrees inside because this is South Florida. Who needs to put heating in buildings in South Florida, right? So on a day like today, Pastor Rafe is, yes, wearing a jacket and a tie, you know, all that to, uh, to stay warm, but uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit will warm us all up today, won't it, as we worship together, amen? Amen. So let me invite you to join us in uh, worship as we stand together um, and engage in sharing together in the, uh, the call to worship. Like precious coins... We are to God like precious sheep. Come, good shepherd among us. Find us as we worship you. Remain standing as we, uh, as we sing together. Lord, speak to me. We are welcomed into your presence this day by your gracious hospitality, O God. Grant that we will lay aside our cares and anxieties to concentrate our thoughts on you alone. Open us to the teaching and guidance for living which we receive, that we will be strengthened to walk with you and follow wherever you lead us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
today for our, our, our pegs moment, you know, pegs, the foundation of our faith, pray, engage, give, and serve. Um, it's the fifth Sunday of the month, and uh, fifth Sunday of the month is the time when we, uh, uh, all across our state, our United Methodist Church supports the Florida United Methodist Children's Home, and we have a very special relationship with the Florida United Methodist Children's Home here in, uh, at New Horizon. We've been partnered with them for years, and the foster care in South uh, Florida happens out of an office right here on our campus, and so it is a joy and a blessing for us to partner with the Children's Home. The Children's Home has a myriad of ministries to work with children who have been um, oppressed or unsafe or in situations that are just broken, working with families also to unify families and bring families together and make that a healthy setting. We have residential care in Central and North Florida. We have foster care in five different counties. We have outpatient therapeutic care uh, in numerous counties throughout the center part of the state. Um, we have um, uh, a program that deals with independent living for young adults to help keep them from the homelessness and uh, struggles that many uh, young adults in college age uh, face. And so many ministries that we work with and encourage you to take this uh, time to uh, to give and support it in prayer. There are special envelopes if you're here on site uh, for the children's home for a special offering. Of course, you can do it online and just mark your gift for the, for the children's home. Also, a part of our partnership here at New Horizon is our wonderful golf tournament. It's been going on for a number of years. This is like 30-some-odd years that we've had a, a golf tournament to support the children's home. The money is used for the foster care right here in Broward County. And so we want to continue to doing that. This year, um, we've changed the day. We're moving from a Saturday event to a Friday event. We've changed the location, and so the golf course will be different. And uh, so our golf tournament and silent auction is uh, really going to need uh, all the support that we can uh, get from those who make it happen. And so we need not only golfers to golf that day, but we need people who don't play golf to help us do the uh, silent auction, to help host and the hospitality of the day and all the registration and all that kind of work. And so if, uh, if you are willing to help out with that, you can contact us and, and let us know. But this is also the time when sponsorship for the event with uh, corporations and companies. And so if you're a part of a, of a group that would like to support this in a financial way and, and share in a partnership, um, this is the time to do that too and encourage you to uh, contact the church office. We'll make sure that you talk with the uh, right folk. And uh, as we continue to gear up for this wonderful event, happens in late April, that all of it 100% supports the work of the Florida United Methodist Children's Home here in, in our area. Amen and amen.
Thank you, Carrie. Carrie is awesome, yeah? <laughs> My name is Pastor Lisa, if you'll bow your heads for this morning's prayer. Lord, we gather this morning, perhaps not in each other's presence, still we gather together this morning as people fully united and in need of your presence. We gather to praise and worship you, the Lord of peace in a time where the world would have us choose chaos, the Lord of strength in our times of weakness, the Lord of wisdom in our times of confusion, the Lord of love when we're feeling lost and alone, the Lord of comfort when we are hurting and grieving, the Lord of possibility when all seems hopeless. Help us to so be in your presence in these moments that we draw our strength from your word. Help us to so be in your presence that our worries are set aside in awe and wonder of what you can do. Help us to carry your presence with us as we go through the trying days to come. We pray all of this as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you'll please stand and join us for our hymn, His Name is Wonderful. Uh, as we uh, as we go into uh, this scripture today, I want to remind you that um, we're going to have a special celebration next Sunday. Next Sunday on February 6th at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a unified communion service 
uh, for our one worship service next Sunday. So we're going to rally around the communion table. We're going to share uh, communion together and, and share together with one worship service as part of uh, our celebration and, uh, and coming together. Um, and I would encourage you that if for some reason next Sunday you're engaging in a, in a digital way on Facebook or, or YouTube, that do it live at 10 o'clock um, so that we're all together and sharing together. And we'll come together with our music teams. We're coming together for our worship and, and all folks uh, together um, for that time because the nature of the church is community. It's what God created the church for is that community. And so in communion, in that unity, in that, that communing together, we come together in that sense of community that God has created and given us for in, in the church. And in this time, that's probably an important celebration for us to recognize our unity together. Because let's face it, we've been in a season and a time and are live in a culture that's very dispersed. And it would be easy to, to scatter so much. And we need the reminder of who we are as God's people unified uh, together. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is worshiping. He's actually come to uh, worship with his hometown folks. Jesus has come back to his homies, as people would say. And he's come back to his hometown. We shared part of that uh, last week. In fact, verse 21 kind of overlaps with last week. Last week, Jesus was there in worship, and they gave him the scroll, and he unrolled the scroll, and he read from the scroll, and it was kind of like his mission statement. You know, I've come to bring uh, good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to, to let the oppressed, set the oppressed and let them go free. And he shared that message uh, with them and, uh, and then finished it up by saying this verse from verse 21. He says, uh, today... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. And so the service goes on. And uh, then there, here's the people's response. Everyone was raving about Jesus. Raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me, Doctor, who yourself? Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to the widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There was also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha. But none of them was cleansed. Instead, Naaman, the Syrian, was cleansed. When the crowd heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. 
they rose up and ran out, to, uh, and they rose up and took Jesus and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of a hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But Jesus, he passed through the crowd and went on his way. Amen and amen. Most gracious God, speak to us the words of grace even if they might bring us to the point of anger and frustration. But let us receive your presence and power. Amen and amen. So, who can be angry with Jesus? I mean, how do you get angry with Jesus? I mean, this is the guy, right? This is Jesus. I mean, everything about him is about grace and mercy and love and just oozing out of him and so who can get angry with jesus i mean he's the ultimate nice guy right he's the ultimate friendly guy who gets angry with jesus and the people in this story the the crowd in this story those of us who are who are in that crowd um i mean this crowd they know him i mean they how do they get angry with jesus this is their boy man this is their hometown boy he's with them He's teaching in the synagogue. He's reading the scriptures. He's done them proud as he's gone and, and traveled in other places. And uh, they've heard so much about him. And here he is at his home. And he's there with them. And they're happy. They're excited. They're raving about him. They're gushing about him. They know his family. They've watched him grow up. You know, some of them probably taught him when he was an adolescent and learning the scriptures and stuff. They were part of his celebrations of life as he turned 13 and as he went on and probably mentored in, and did his, artist, his artistry work of, of carpentry. And they heard about what he was doing and they heard about his message of peace. There was something great about him and now he's back home and he's brought people with him. I mean, he's gotten notoriety so much that people are beginning to follow him. So the hometown folks, they got to be awfully proud, right? They got awfully proud that that little boy Jesus is is back in town, and they're with him, and and they're just so great. There's something good about him, and he's here, and the blessings that they've heard about him doing in Capernaum and other places through Nazareth, he's going to bring to their hometown. They let him read the scripture at worship, and they liked him, and so much. So who gets angry with this? This is their boy, the boy from Nazareth. This is Mary and Joe's son. Nazareth, this, this beautiful city that, yeah, it's kind of on a little altitude area there at part of the greater region of Galilee. And I've stood on a place at the edge of the city of Nazareth where you can just kind of look off of the, uh, the high cliff that is and see this beautiful valley that's underneath, this valley that kind of flows on down to uh, Capernaum and Tabca along the edges of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful area. And this is, all of a sudden they get angry and they want to, throw Jesus off? Everyone was raving about him. Everyone, this is one of ours. He's one of ours, and he's, he's done well. This little tiny town has produced something that everybody's noticing. They're impressed. They're impressed so much with Jesus. This is Joseph's boy. So what turns them angry so quickly? They're there with the expectation. Jesus has come back home. He's reading the scriptures. He's done great things. 
Certainly little Jesus knows us, right? He's going to take care of us. Jesus has come back home to bless us and to take care of us, to, to be good to us, you know, because we're part of the insiders. We've known him all of his life. You know, what makes them so angry? So angry, so angry, they wanted to throw him off that cliff into the valley beneath. What is so threatening? What's Jesus' offense? His offense? Insinuating that God's favor is not solely for them. The focus of the kingdom work is on the marginalized. I've come for the poor and the oppressed and the blind and the hurting. And you can hear the people in the town saying, what do you mean it's not about us? What do you mean it's not about me? All this greatness, all this glory, it's going to be spread out to other people? We're the hometown folks. We, we're entitled. We've invested in this guy. We've invested in his family. We, we've invested in his brothers and sisters. What do you mean it's not about us? But yet Jesus goes on to talk about that God's work is more focused on the marginalized, the poor, the captives, the blind, not the privileged, not the insiders, not the chosen people. And Jesus, yes, his love is for all, but the kingdom work is focused on those who are on the margins, those who are, would be considered outsiders. The, the privileged receive that love, but they're expected to share with the outsiders, the, marvel, the marginalized. It's frustrating when it's not about us, right? It's frustrating when our prayer isn't answered the way we want it answered, the way we'd like for it to be answered. Because Jesus' mission is a whole different thing sometimes when it includes everybody. And then what Jesus really infuriating is Jesus proves his point. He uses scripture to say, I'm not doing anything that God hasn't already done. This is what God does. And we've seen that from Scripture. And he points out about Elijah and Elijah's uh, 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 disciple, Elisha, and these great prophets, and how they did things to out, with outsiders and blessed them. Jesus refers them to Elijah and Elijah's meeting with a widow woman. This is in 1 Kings chapter 17, if anybody wants to... Uh, do their homework and read this. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah is in this time, the whole countryside, the whole region is in this time of drought and famine. And people are dying of hunger, particularly people who don't have resources, widows and orphans. And Elijah is sent to go to this foreign area, to go outside of Israel into this foreign area, and there he meets a widow a widow who has no resources, who knows that in this drought and this famine, she's about to die. And this is affecting a lot of people, but here's this one particular story. This, this woman from Sidon, what we would know as Lebanon today, outside of Israel. And Elijah shows up, and the woman's gathering a few sticks, and she's telling him that, that I'm gathering up a few sticks, I'm going to make a small little fire, I've got this little bit of flour left, I'm going to make a couple of cakes, got a little bit of water, and my son and I are going to eat the last bite of the little bit of food that we have, and then we're going to lay down and die. And Elijah says, good plan, good idea. 
share some with me. But, but I've got so little. But, you know, hospitality, you share it. We shared the food. In the middle of the drought, in the middle of the famine, the, the flour doesn't run out. The water doesn't run out. And it continues. There's a miracle that's happening here to an outsider. An outsider widow is, is saved. And the miracle goes on because then after the, the rains come and now there's resources and stuff and the drought and the famine are over, the woman's son still gets sick and the son dies. And Elijah comes to this foreigner and lays over him and prays over him and life is restored. It's a resurrection story. And it's a resurrection story not for the chosen people of Israel, for a Lebanese woman, an outsider. And that's how God works. God comes for those kinds of people and, and brings them hope and promise. Well, that's a little frustrating when it's not about us, when we're the chosen entitled ones. But Jesus says, you know, it goes on because he refers to another story about Elisha. Now, Elisha had learned all of this stuff from Elijah. He was one of his disciples, and now Elisha has become the, the prophet. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a story of Elisha meeting with Naaman. What kind of meeting with him? Naaman is the premier outsider now. Not a, not a widow who lives outside, but he is now an Assyrian army officer. He is part of the conquering oppressive government that has come in, part of the Assyrian Empire, that has taken captives, taken exiles and moved them away and made Israel a, a puppet kingdom in the midst of the Assyrian Empire. He's this army officer. He's a warrior. He's an enemy. He's also a leper. He's got a skin problem. He's got a little skin disease, looking for something to clear him up, and he's struggling with that. And this slave girl who's been made a slave from Israel, she says, you know, back where I come from, we have this prophet you know, who can do some great stuff. And so Naaman's like, well, I'll try anything. You know, and he gets the paperwork he needs from the, the kings and stuff and goes to, uh, to Israel to meet with Elisha. Elisha won't even come out of his house. He just says, yeah, army officer guy, just go wash up a little bit in the Jordan River. Go take a bath. And, and Naaman's an important person. He's got a sense of entitlement about him. He gets angry. He gets frustrated. He says, I got better rivers back at home, bigger and cleaner than that muddy creek that you call the Jordan. And one of his folks says, look, look, Naaman, if he told you to do some big grand thing, you would have done it. So he told you to do something little. Just go and try it. And so this abrasive, self-important army officer goes and jumps in the Jordan River and is healed and cleansed. Another miracle of God to outsiders and oppressors and enemies. This is how God works? Do you understand why people are getting a little frustrated with this? The people of Israel have been following God forever, and now this is how God works? Healed this guy? This guy? The way God works is frustrating. It's angry. We work so hard to be 
faithful and to, to obey the laws and to obey the rules, and God's love is going to go to those who don't deserve it? Hey, I mean, God better start answering the prayers the way we pray them and the way we want it answered, right? Because this is getting awfully frustrating, and it can be angering. It can be very frustrating, but you know what? That's not only true in the Scriptures, it's true in our lives, isn't it? You ever gotten angry with Jesus and shaking your fist that it's not the way it's supposed to be? A number of decades ago, yes, I can say decades, I'm getting to that time. In the 80s and 90s, I was a pastor in, in the Miami area, and the urban church was, in a, was transitioning because it was a time when the culture and the language and the demographics was in a huge shift, as it always is in South Florida. And, uh, you know, immigrants had been coming in and uh, the culture had been shifting with all these folks coming in. And, and I was pastoring a church where they felt that and they sensed that and uh, they felt the, all the shifting and change that was going on. And the people became very power hungry. In fact, they became mean. It wasn't like New Horizon. I mean, the New Horizon is a diverse church with lots of health and a focus on mission and ministry. This is a beautiful place to, to serve God. But this church, and this is 20, 30, 40 years ago, 35 years ago, they hurt me. I mean, they hurt me bad. Uh, they hurt me. They're, they're prejudices. They're only people like them could serve in leadership in the church. And the shifting demographics of the community made that the community and even the church was filled with these folks that they would have called outsiders. And they were extremely critical of me for pastoring and caring for and working with them, you know, those people. And it became very hurtful for me. It became very painful for me. It became a hard struggle for me to, to lead in the church. And I remember some nights, some particularly Saturday nights, going, Lord, you better not let me preach on Sunday morning. Because when I get up there, I'm going to tell them how it is, you know, and I'm going to become one of those finger-pointing preachers, you know, that comes down on them. I was afraid of what was going to come out of my mouth. I was so hurt and so frustrated by this. And, and I remember praying that prayer over and over again, Lord, don't make me preach. Don't let me preach. You don't want me to do this because you never know what's going to happen. And then one evening, the Lord and the Spirit moved in my heart, and this quote came to me. Remember, I came for them first. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus died for the people that want to hurt me? Jesus died for the people th th that, are, that are hurting me? I was angry. I was furious. Why in the world are you going to put me in a situation like this to deal with people that are not acting very nice and not acting very loving? And then I was humbled. I was humbled because I kept hearing, I came for them first. I came for them first, which means they need to hear love. They need to hear love. And so I had to preach to them every week and teach their Bible studies and visit the sick and have my heart break with them as loved ones died and we did funerals. I was humbled. Elijah came to a widow, an outsider. Elisha healed Naaman, a Syrian from the invading army. 
Jesus came for the poor, the oppressed, the hurting, the outsider. It can be so angering. It can be so frustrating because the privileged are the ones who have earned the right to get God's love, right? But here's what the scripture says. Jesus is on the side of the marginalized. And sometimes that can be very angering because we want to be on the inside. We want the privileges that we have earned. We want our prayers answered the way we want them answered. But here's the good news. Jesus is on the side of the marginalized. And we've all been there. Or maybe we are there. Right? Right? Jesus is focused on the poor, the oppressed. Jesus is focused. His work is for the sick and the grieving, the addicted, the bullied, the confused, the lost. Jesus is focused on the depressed, the heartbroken, the abused, the victimized. And yes, Jesus loves the bully and the abuser and the oppressor. We've all been there. We've all been the least or the last or the lost. We've all been the outsider from time to time. But we really like to be the insider and get all the stuff we deserve, right? But the outsider, the least, the last, the lost, the widow, the invading army officer, those are who make up the kingdom of God. You feel like, you feel like Jesus' love and grace is unfair? Maybe that's because it's just too big. It's just too big. Get angry with Jesus sometimes? That's okay. Jesus can take it. He can take our anger. But the love and the grace, it'll be bigger than we'll ever imagine. Amen? Amen. Most gracious and holy God, we're grateful that your love is grand and inclusive. But sometimes that is confusing and frustrating for us. Lord, be patient with us. Receive our, our anger and our crying out to you. And yes, Lord, humble us that we might be drawn closer to you. Amen. And amen. Let's stand as we uh, sing together. Singing is a response to God's word. Here I am, Lord. Here I am.
go respond to God's love and grace with your prayers, with your, your giving in the offering or online. Um, but go now with the assurance that God's love is big and grand and includes all of the broken and the hurting and the oppressed peoples everywhere. Go now with the assurance that God's love includes you. Amen and amen. Thank you.